What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Hanel Bavesia at Union Square Ventures. USV is one of the best venture capital funds in the world, and since 2003, they've invested in over 100 companies that use the power of the internet to reshape markets. Within her role, Hanel focuses primarily on opportunities within fintech and digital wellness. She also helps develop theses within these verticals. In this talk, we discuss outbound versus thesis-driven sourcing, sharing thoughts to create magnets for deal flow, and investment opportunities within fintech and early stage wellness. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Confluence VC Podcast. Today we have a guest from one of our favorite funds, USV. That amazing investor and friend of Confluence is Hanel Braveja, which is one of the dopest names ever. And yeah, we're going to dive into some really cool stuff and just kick it, have fun, and be friends per usual. How about to get this started? You maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are, what makes you smile, those kind of things. And, and from there, we, we go forward. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. So I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. My parents are academics and professors at the University of Michigan there. And so I grew up in a really intellectually curious sort of academic environment where I was always reading and learning about different things. And I very much, I think, took that generalist attitude to college. I went to Harvard and had the true liberal arts experience. I studied, technically studied economics and then creative writing in English, but I took classes in everything, including the history of science, which I really loved. And in many ways, I think is very much sort of the art of early stage investing and, and venture capital. And so I think for people who are generalists, there's a couple obvious career paths. Consulting is one of them, especially out of a school like Harvard. And so that was what I was planning on doing. I got lucky in that when I was a junior, there was a, there's a big growth stage firm in New York called Insight Partners that actually is, is rare in that they take junior interns into kind of a sourcing program and they recruit out of Harvard and Penn and a number of other schools. And so I landed an internship at Insight and it was really my first exposure to venture capital. Insight is a massive fund that does growth stage enterprise SaaS investing. So it, it's definitely a particular flavor of investing, but I loved my summer there and joined full-time out of school. And that was my first exposure to investing and the landscape of venture capital from early stage through growth and buyouts, which Insight did. 
about a year into Insight, I think I realized that I wasn't, you know, cut out for growth stage enterprise SaaS investing. I was much more interested in looking at early stage companies, looking at consumer technologies. And I basically was searching for other roles in, in venture and was looking at earlier stage opportunities and came across a USB job posting, which happens roughly once every two or three years. Applied, got the job and started a month and a half before COVID. So I've been at USV now for 18 months, which um, has been awesome. That's amazing. I would love to get your thoughts and experiences, just the delta between being at a huge growth stage or full stack firm, like Insight relative to being at USV. Like I know you all at USV are very thesis driven versus uh, at Insight, having a lot of thesis-driven decision-making, but probably having more of a spray and pray scaled access. Yeah. How has your life changed? What are the ups and downs in your opinion for each? Yes, that's a great question. I think you're exactly right. First of all, Insight and USB are polar opposites in terms of composition, right? Insight has north of 100 people on their investment team. USB has 10. They have completely different approaches to sourcing and decision-making. Insight is very outbound sourcing heavy, spray and pray, boil the ocean, whatever you want to call it. And they have an army of junior people, analysts and associates that are tasked with sourcing and in fact, source most of the deals at Insight, which is pretty cool. And then USB, on the other hand, is very partner-led, they're more partners than non-partners at USV, for example, seven partners to three non-partners. We're very thesis-driven, which I can go into later. And we invest in crypto and climate and much earlier stage companies, sometimes pre-revenue. So they're polar opposites. I honestly feel super, super lucky to have gotten the chance to work at both of them and see them from the inside out. I guess touching on insight first. So Insight, I think, is almost programmatic in how they approach sourcing. Every year they hire a class of, you know, 10 to 15 analysts and they task them with sourcing in an aggressive outbound way. So very much the philosophy at Insight is we think software is eating the world. There is so much opportunity and room to grow in software companies at Series B and up. And let's go out and find the very best of them and invest in all of them. And so a lot of, you know, the role at Insight is setting up calls with founders, maybe 20, you're trying to talk to 20 to 30 companies a week. You're going to conferences, you're going booth to booth at, at every SaaS conference, trying to, to meet with the best of the best. You're sourcing from seed funds, portfolios, and you're really trying to stay top of mind for founders. You meet them at the seed, even though Insight realistically is more likely to invest at series B or series C. And it really is an intense, fast-paced environment. Insight is writing, I don't know how many checks they're writing now. When I was there, it was something like 50 plus deals a year. So you're just seeing this incredible volume of SaaS companies. And I think I learned coming out of college and coming out of a liberal arts education, I learned for the first time, what is recurring revenue? What is gross margin? What what is a multiple on a business mean? What is EBITDA? Like all those kind of fundamentals of investing at the growth stage, I think are, are actually really helpful, even if ultimately your personality or interest is more suited to earlier stage, which, which is definitely the camp I fall into. I, I still feel really grateful to have been in a, been at a firm where there was a rigidity around and discipline around how to think about 
the quantitative side of investing. I think that was super important for my development. And then USV, on the other hand, is totally opposite. We're very thesis driven, as you pointed out. And I think until I joined USV, I didn't really know what that meant in practice. But I think really being a small firm and being thesis driven affects everything we do. So at its core, the thesis is an evolving set of core ideas that kind of guide our investing, both in a macro sense and a micro sense. So we've published three iterations over the last decade or so of what we call like thesis 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 that are at the highest level, what we care about as a firm. And, and they've always centered around networks and network effects. I think large networks of engaged users was maybe the original USB thesis. And our, our more our last thesis, which we wrote in 2018, is around broadening access to knowledge, capital, and well-being. And so that's at a macro level, we have this guiding principle of areas that we care about. And then there's the micro level of the thesis, which is each of us on the team spends time in specific sub areas and starts to flesh out a thesis there. So for example, when I was in my first few months at USV, one of the first areas I went really deep on is mental health. And I wrote a couple blog posts that were a product of trying to meet with tons of founders, academics, experts in the space and hone a thesis around what the future of mental health tech looked like and, and what were the most interesting investable ideas for USV. And so my day-to-day my -day at USV is very different than at Insight, where I was pretty much only sourcing at Insight. Here, I'm spending much more time fleshing out ideas and trying to go deep into a topic like mental health and become an expert, for example. Quick question, I'm going off script, but how does the collaboration differ between types of funds? Like when you're talking through that, when you have 10 other people in your analyst class, does it just get super competitive of who's bringing deals to the table? Who's actually bringing deals to the funds that investing into? I'm sure there's some differences there compared yeah, to the shop you're at now. Yes, definitely. I think like being at an investment bank or being at a consulting firm, anytime you have a class of 10 college grads that have the same job, there's, I think, a level of competition that, you know, is maybe even healthy to a certain extent. And it's collaborative as well. I think Insight does a good job of not actively pitting you against each other. The structure of Insight is also you're broken out into six or seven teams and you work with one or two analysts, and then you have a bunch of senior people with, and you work with a specific partner. So you're grouped in smaller clusters, but definitely there's competition around who's sourcing the most, who's calling the most. And I think that's part of the, the dynamic there. At USV, I think because we're so small, we are incredibly collaborative. There's less attention to, there's less like deal ownership dynamics and who brought in what company. And we tend to just really work collaboratively and look at things together, which I certainly prefer as a culture and I think is a better fit for my personality. Yeah, totally. I think I don't, I don't have that same level of experience. I think both shops I've worked in have been smaller, more collaborative, but I feel like I definitely prefer that compared to heavy outbound. Yeah. But anyway. No, I, I feel that though. I, I never did the, the big insight insight style on the buy side, but I did do it at Morgan Stanley, where you have a ton of analysts, interns, et cetera. And it is interesting. In some ways you have like school and you're like having fun and you meet all these lifelong friends. But in other ways, we're all trying to kill each other, <laughs> like <laughs> secretly. 
we know there's a, there's going to be a five to 10% conversion rate. To I think prison. that's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go for it. I was going to say, I, the point of it being school, that actually is maybe the biggest positive value out of a place like insight. I think a lot of people on the podcast have said this, but venture can be really lonely. And when you're at a small firm, you don't really have a lot of peers. A completely awesome thing about insight was having like 50 other people your age around. So just from a social element, making friends, meeting new people, like that culture is pretty awesome and impossible to get in venture at a small firm. It is. Another thing is they actually have enough people in the junior ranks to truly provide some type of of educational platform. Like it's worth it for them to invest in training versus in smaller shops. It's just like, yo, figure it out. Get a mentor who's a cool partner and like either it's a great experience or it's not. You kind of got to figure it out. I totally agree. And in fact, Insight does a great job at, they take people in from school where they don't expect you to know any finance or have any background in software and investing. And they really teach you from the ground up, starting with what is ARR through (laughs) how you build a model and value a business. And I think that kind of structured investing education is super rare. And I feel lucky to have gone through that, you know, training program. Yeah. To that point, for people who are listening here who haven't broken an adventure, I know that insights like that, summits like that, TCV might be like that. Who else? Also hires interns and and people right out of school. Yeah. Yeah. There there are not many though. Everyone pay attention to these names. Okay. Back on, back onto the line where we were before. Uh, Thesis driven investing is becoming more and more important. Specialty funds are becoming more and more important. Why do you think that is? and, And what do you say? I think, yes, I think that's totally right. More and more firms are becoming thesis driven or, or sector specific. I think there's a huge number of crypto funds popping up, for example, or climate funds popping up. I guess I would say, first of all, I think being thesis driven versus heavy, you know, outbound, it, it's totally personal preference, right? I think it's about finding what works for you and your style. Ultimately, no matter what, you're going to be spending so many hours on it that it's good to find a method that doesn't feel like work and that you truly enjoy. There are plenty of people at Insight and at sourcing heavy firms who love that and want to do that. That, that wasn't for me. I think, as, again, someone who's a generalist and liberal artsy and likes to go deep and likes to write as a way to crystallize my thoughts, I think thesis-driven feels like much more of a natural fit. But I actually think there, there are people that fall in both camps. I think, though, to your point, the market for seed and series A investing feels like it's never been more competitive. And I think when you have a small firm, you can't see every deal. You can't meet every founder. You're constrained by the hours in the day and the time that you have. And so something I really like about being at a thesis-driven firm and being somewhat thesis-driven myself is just the discipline to pick a few things and go deep become an expert on it or try to become an expert on it. One, because it, it just helps with focus and discipline. So you can say no to a lot of things. Um, we say no to things all the time at USV that are great businesses, but just don't fit our thesis. A top-down enterprise SaaS company is probably going to be a great business and, and should go raise from Insight or, or another good fund, but it's not for us. And so we just say no. And so we, I just find that my hit rate of talking to companies that I think that are both interesting and thesis on thesis for us is so much higher when you have the focus and discipline to know what you're looking for. And the second is, I think, just from a 
working with founders perspective or even having better conversations with founders. If you're meeting with any and every company that moves, you can't really apply knowledge from one conversation to another versus if you're really spending time going deep in a category and you understand a market in and out, it just helps you have a, a more informed, deeper conversation off the bat with a founder. And I think will also make you a better partner and investor just because you, you understand some new, some of the nuances around, around what the founder is doing relative to, to being completely spray and pray. I'm curious to hear sort of your thoughts as well on, on why the market seems to be trending towards thesis-driven, sector-driven firms. Yeah, I guess I'll give my quick take. From an investor's perspective, we are all aware that the cost and time to go to market has gone down considerably, meaning for any opportunity, there's who knows how many people trying to tackle it from who knows how many angles. So that's one, you need to be able to filter to the noise, which means you need to be in the space for longer have a more defined, profound view. From a relationship perspective, you need to be in the weeds, making sure that you're at the right place at the right time with the right connectivity point, which happens more when you're like in the right, like when you're dedicated to a space. And from the last point, from a founder's perspective, which I've been taking on most recently, like when you're looking for an investor, you want to know that someone knows more about it than you. Like the truth is like an investor will only be dedicated to you for so much, call it 3% of their time. So they're not gonna roll up their sleeves and do that much work from you outside of a key hire or helping you with some integration structuring or like helping you plan X thing of your 20 things to do, maybe once or twice. So what that means is they need to do is be able to be smarter on the area than you. And you're spending all your time on the space. So if I'm gonna take money from someone that's not just for a brand or like, a huge amount of capital at a low dilution rate, unless I'm like in a terrible position, it needs to be someone who can give me insights and know more about my space than I do. So that, that just wins. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think those are exactly right. I think a nuance of being thesis driven is also how you express it. I think one of the things that USB has done really well for a long time, far before I joined, I can take no credit for this, is this culture of writing and blogging. Like, even today, the great thing about writing and blog posts is that they're eternal. Even today, I will talk to founders who will reference Fat Protocols, which is a prolific USB piece from many years ago. And I've even found that blog posts that I wrote a year and a half ago when I first joined USB, founders and people in, in tech will find it and reach out to me and say, hey, I think you should meet with this person. They're building something exactly on brand. And so I think a thesis, we think there's something about sharing a thesis that makes it 10x more powerful than just having a thesis you keep to yourself. And we're writing and blogging all the time about ideas that are still half-baked or that we're still forming hypotheses on. Climate is a great example of this. We raised and announced a, a dedicated climate fund at the end of last year which we're starting to put to work across seed and series A climate tech companies that include a nuclear fission company or a direct air capture company. They're not, we're not uh, limiting ourselves to software and networks. And so this is a huge learning curve for us. And we're still figuring out how to invest and in, in building theses across many areas. And we've been just churning out a ton of writing to just get our hypotheses out there and, and get both validation and pushback from entrepreneurs and investors. And so I think for us, a big part of being thesis driven also includes like publicly sharing a lot of that, which I think is sometimes an under underrated or underappreciated aspect of having one. 
Agreed. Totally agreed. Can you tell us about some of the areas that you're most interested in? I know earlier you spoke a little bit about mental wellness as an area you were thinking about, but I think we've seen you talk a little bit about fintech and broader wellness. So like, hopefully this turns to a sourcing mechanism for you as well. Yes, totally. No, I will take any opportunity to, to plug my hypotheses and, and theses, I guess. So starting with mental health, which I've blogged about a little bit for USV, this is one of the first areas I went deep on. We think there is just so much opportunity in mental health and wellness. And we take a really expansive view of this, I should say. So all the way from company, wellness companies, like I would argue Calm and Headspace are wellness companies up through much more traditional forms of healthcare where you're interacting with payers and and maybe patients with more severe forms of illness. We're looking at the full spectrum. And as I mentioned, thesis 3.0 is really around broadening access to well-being. So what we're really focused on are ways that the cost of access to mental health and mental wellness can come down while the way that the experience is productized actually improves care and improves outcomes. So we're a lot less interested in group therapy on Zoom, which may bring down the cost of seeing a therapist one-on-one, but doesn't really change the form factor of care in a way that feels like interesting or sort of 3.0, for lack of a better word. Basically, in this blog post, I write about how there's already been one big step of innovation in mental health care and that a lot of kind of old school brick and mortar mental health services have transformed for the digital era by just moving online. So you're no longer constrained by where you live and you no longer have to only see a therapist in your physical town, but you can see a therapist online pretty much anywhere in the country. That's great. That's one form of innovation. What would it look like to leverage peer-to-peer AI group therapy in a way that like drastically brings the cost down because a lot of these digital health therapy companies, talk space, better help, they're still super expensive. And what we're interested in this market are ways to drastically lower cost while broadening access and, and also improving outcomes. And so we've made one investment, which I blogged about, that's much more on the wellness kind of calm headspace side of the spectrum rather than healthcare. It's a a really interesting early company called Mindset out of LA that's in this wellness category and is leveraging audio and storytelling and, and community. And that was very much a company that came to us as a product of writing the blog posts and and sourcing around this thesis that we had that basically the next great mental health company won't look like a therapy company or won't look like mental health company, but we'll come at it from a completely different kind of orthogonal angle, which is actually a thesis that we've seen ring true in education, which is that the best, we think that the best education companies don't look like education companies and Duolingo is a great example of that where it's gamified and fun, but is also delivering a great educational product. So that was the thinking there. And we're still very much on the hunt for other interesting wellness and, and mental health companies. Got it. Well, everyone, you've heard it here. Send those companies our way. Yes, please. I, I would love to meet with more. And then I guess I can talk a little bit around, you mentioned fintech. One area that we're in very early days of trying to build a thesis in is early stage fintech opportunities in emerging markets. We invested a couple months ago in a buy now, pay later company in Brazil and Colombia called Adi. That's pretty awesome. 
a huge fan of that company. I actually was in Brazil a month ago for work to visit the company. And that was just really fun. And there's just so much, I think, happening in fintech in in Latin America and in other places that I'm really excited to dig more into. I think buy now, pay later is getting a lot of buzz lately with the after pay conversation and a firm had a lot of buzz a year ago. What Addy's model does basically is unlock working capital for merchants and also broaden consumer access to credit. So it's something we're, we're paying more attention to. I, I would say like at the highest level, the thesis is basically there are countries where everyone has a smartphone and no one has a credit card, like in a broad, painting broad strokes here. But that those places to me feel like huge opportunities where there's so much room for fintech. Angela at Andreessen has a great blog post where she references this idea of leapfrogging in emerging markets, which is essentially like the digital infrastructure and smartphone penetration has moved so quickly that in a lot of these countries, like they can move from a cash economy to a digital banking system or digital fintech products and skip the tier that we are still in in the United States in many ways in which we have like physical Chase banks and Bank of America on every corner. Like most Americans, I, I have a Capital One credit card. But in, there, in other countries and, and places where everyone has a smartphone and no one has really a credit card or, or very few people relatively speaking, have access to credit, there's, I think, an incredible fintech opportunity. True. True. Do you all look at any, are you all still doing fintech investments in the U.S.? We are, definitely. We're looking in the U.S. We're starting to poke around Latin America more. Now we have, we have two companies in Brazil. COVID for us has really opened the floodgates in terms of geographies. Before COVID, we were really only looking at companies in the U.S. and Europe. And I think, like many firms, Investing in founders remotely gave us the confidence to just, there's great entrepreneurs around the world building companies that fit our thesis. And so in our climate fund, we've started to make investments in Asia and other geographies. In our core fund, we now have a couple companies in Brazil. And I, I think that's super exciting and very much the future. No, totally agree. The way I typically see it is uh, if you can get ahead of it in the U.S., go for it. Or if there's some really interesting take, go for it. But if not, learn here, learn in Europe, learn in Asia, and then hit the rest of the world like as fast as you can. It seems like you all are on that wave. I think that is everything on my end. So feel free to ask us anything in the world. And then also, Clay, feel free to subsequently or alternatively take us out with a quick fire round. Yeah, no, which one you want to do? You want to ask us something or you want me to just jump into quick fire? Should I, do people usually ask, should I ask you as a venture question? What I, I we just give yeah, you a chance. Literally whatever. We gave heads up on this. We just like, <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, oh damn, I thought I did my homework. <laughs> no, it could literally be like, what, what's, what's favorite our favorite color? type of seed, like seed or nut butter. It doesn't matter. How, remind me how long you guys have been doing the podcast. I guess I'd just be curious. You've now talked to probably tons of different People at firms, I'm curious, like anything surprising or particularly interesting that you've learned just from running Confluence and, and doing this podcast series? Yeah, you are guest number 48. So we're close to the year mark. I think we've gotten that question a couple other times, like any repeatable like traits of people we respect. I think like generally the people that we brought on 
are the ones that just seem really curious about the world and are sharing their thoughts online. That makes it easier for us to find them and like realize they're interesting, want to have them on, pick their brain on things. Other than that, like, I think venture is just like the, the venture landscape, it seems like has altered a ton since we first started doing this. It seems like more and more people have started talking about the importance of community. More and more people have started talking about the importance of thesis-driven investing. We've heard that from a couple of people. I mean, just finding different ways to differentiate outside of capital. I feel like that strategy or like that thesis had been playing out even before COVID, but it's obviously shifted since since more and more capital has gone into the asset class. I don't know, I'm rambling now, but I think like generally, like from the guests in particular, like biggest takeaway I have is the people that stand out from the pack are just the ones that are, are openly sharing their work online, similar to what you've been doing and just getting that out there, like developing their own thoughts for the world to see and that attracts more luck their way. You want to jump into quick five? Sure. Cool. So we have these then meant to be answered in two sentences less. We got five questions for you. First one we have is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? So I'll say it's one step at a time, which I, I caveat with. It's not generally bad advice to say one step at a time, but I think the successful people that I know and admire have the ability to both take it one step at a time day by day, but also have a, a bigger vision and see the bigger picture and bigger goal. I think that's good advice. Yeah. I think things compound quicker than they ever have. So I think that's, that is good advice. In the last year, what new belief behavior habit has most improved your life? This is incredibly generic, but also honest, which is just carving out time for reading and for exercise. I think COVID gave me that room to do it. And now even in a busier, more social world, it's something I'm still trying to, I'm trying to focus on and make time for. What's your favorite book? That's an impossible question. Yeah. Favorite thing you've recently read. Ooh, I recently read, an, I, I love fiction, and I recently read a great novel called Fake Accounts by Lauren Euler, which I highly recommend. Cool. I'm going to check that out right after this. Next one, aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture? There are too many interesting things going on in venture to learn about and have time to spend time in. I, a perfect example of this is crypto, which I'm fascinated by and very much a bystander too. And I just, if I had 24 more hours every day, I would be going super deep on. I feel the same way. I like, can't even imagine how much crypto stuff is going on in your head right now. Cause I feel like I'm overwhelmed with stuff, but as a crypto focused investor and fund, I feel like the stuff has just got to be insane. Yeah, totally. Next one. Got two more here. So best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture? So my friend Vinay from Two Sigma was on the, your podcast maybe a week or two ago and just plus one to everything he said around getting out there and doing it, writing, reading, reaching out to people, join a Discord, join a DAO, et cetera. My second piece of advice is try to become an expert at something, even if you are a generalist or at a generalist firm. This was the best advice that I got going into USV and I think has paid dividends in terms of just having something that people at the firm think 
you are an expert in and it helps you stay top of mind. Love that. Yeah, I totally agree. Again, I think his, his Venn diagram, which is like funny because the pun on his name for, <laughs> for career development is also really good. I think we linked yes. that in this episode. I think that's great. Last question we got for you. Who is a mentor that you'd want to give credit to? So many. I think venture is truly an apprenticeship business. And I feel really lucky to have learned from the best at Insight and USV, all the partners um, here. And then I guess this is also cliche, but my parents who are like the most hardworking people I know and mentors in their own way. Love it. I'm going to follow up after this, ask for your parents' social info because they will retweet when we shout you Uh out. And yeah, that's a growth hack for us. Right. Unfortunately, my parents, as I mentioned, my parents are professors or academics. So they're like completely off the social internet, but they're Mm. great nonetheless. (laughs) I'm jealous. Okay. I think that wraps up for me. I think that wraps it up for us, unless we got any last minute questions here. Yeah. Who do you want to see on the podcast? Please tell us which friends you want to hear about more. We want to be fully community driven. Any guests that we have, their name holds weight when it comes to who we want to highlight to the community. I have one recommendation, which is a friend at RRE. I don't know if you guys have ever, have you guys ever had someone from RRE, their New York based kind of multi-stage. No, but RRE is dope. Yeah. I used to be cool with Charles, but I think he was. Charles, yeah. Charles and Nikita Singaretti were both there. They left so you can, I can, I'm good friends with Abigail Tish, who's their replacement at RRE and spending time in climate and a bunch of other things. And used to work at a startup in Israel is like really awesome. She would be a great fit on the pod, I think. That would be sick. Oh, we'll, if you uh, could intro us, we'd love to, we'd love yeah. to have her. I will do that right after this. Thank you guys again so much. Sweet. Thank you. Yep. Huge thanks again to Hanel for coming on this week. We hope that each of you are able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Hanel, we've linked her social info in the description below, and you can also find her contact info if you're a member of Confluence within our directory. For next steps, if each of you have not submitted your info to become a member yet you can do that through our website at www.confluence.bc and also if you want to become a subscriber to the newsletter we offer a ton of free resources in there each and every week meant to help you become better at your individual roles you can subscribe there at www.confluence.substack.com hope that helps hope to hear from y'all soon